certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. When Kira Glennon's fingernail exhibits were taken from storage for retesting, a female was requested to carry out the process. Today, she took the stand. This is day 45 of Claremont in Conversation. I'm in the studio with Ali and Tim. Now, we were all waiting to hear from this witness to find out if it would solve this mystery DNA that we've heard about. What did you find out today? Well, not much today, <laughs> Tim. No, In fact, true. the only reason I stayed focused was because she was a female and we've been told that the contamination did have female DNA because otherwise the rest of it was just going right over my head. Um, Tim was keeping tabs because he's got a cheat sheet up there with what all these <laughs> initials and numbers mean but um, we didn't hear anything but hopefully next week when Paul Jovic gets to his feet we might glean something. Well I, I wouldn't mind just um, asking you Tim about this cheat sheet because <laughs> I've now heard about this. And Whiteboard actually. Yeah, can you just tell <laughs> us what it is that you've done and, and I understand it is being used by people in the media room mm. as a group cheat sheet. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we we do have a little bunker where a lot of uh, the mostly the print journos and, and guys like Emily and and uh, various other colleagues are doing um, live blogging and things like that because it's difficult to do it in uh, in the courtroom itself and it's also difficult to do it downstairs um, in the room where the camera people, the TV camera people and TV reporters are because they're in and out all the time. And so to help um, the process, we thought um, it would be helpful to put a cheat sheet of all the, the DNA um, exhibit numbers and uh, fibres and, and information that we think we're going to need constantly, which we do. Um, and so, yeah, so we, there was a whiteboard quite helpfully in that room. So um, we put it all up there and, uh, and we're also keeping account of the days um, into the trial that we are and the number of witnesses so it's, it's just a quick glance for those guys that need it um, very quickly we all need it well we <laughs> yeah it is it is I was thinking today that there were, were there is a reason that trials are called trials and and, one of, and, <laughs> totally. and that was today one of those days because um, it was a trial today to, to uh, not that um, Denise Galvin the witness was uh, not doing her best to give her evidence uh, you know as as faithfully and as clearly as she could but to be honest it is evidence that we've we've now heard a number of times about exhibits that we've heard more than a number of times um, and we didn't get to the cross-examination which is where the interesting part of both this witness and Alex Bagdonovicius, who has to come back next week, as we mentioned, will also be cross-examined. So that's Ali's right. That's that's where the interest is going to come. That's where the revelations are going to come. And most importantly, on on this witness, we might find out where that, those flecks of female DNA that we heard about that were um, contaminated these blank samples that went to New Zealand in in 2003 and 2004. We might find out finally where those came from. And you the just, Judge Hall is just as Hall is asking questions, very relevant questions, and he's right on the ball, isn't he? I mean, yeah. as, as my attention fades away and I suddenly hear his voice come up. Yeah, his, his, yeah. his powers of concentration are phenomenal, um, and they were proved again today. Um, very, what we Astute refer questions. to as dry evidence, you know, not 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 very sexy for uh, for TV or print or online, but uh, but also 
obviously always important, still important. And Justice Hall proved again that he's uh, he doesn't he never stops listening and never stops concentrating because he was he was right across it with several questions that uh, that were probably the most interesting part of the day. Yeah, <laughs> clarification of this process and clarification of that process, and yeah. And was there a lot of discussion about the process and how? Um, tidy and clean and everything was in terms of the procedures yes there was <laughs> ad nauseum <laughs> slides and what happened next and what happened next and very much so but um, as I said uh, I think maybe next week the defence will um, probably go into that and um, that's where your attention when something's it's interesting because when something which I think is significant comes up I, I don't even look at Bradley Robert Edwards anymore. It's almost like he's. I've forgotten he's there. Mm-hmm. I, I automatically look at the defence to see what they're if they're going to jump to their feet or make an objection. So um, it, it is. It's just um, people ask about the presence of Bradley Robert Edwards, but you just forget he's there, don't mm. you? He's so bland. Yeah, well, he's, he he has um, very few. Uh, visible emotions mm. um, and has done all the way through even with the very personal evidence that we discussed right back at the start of the trial um, the, his only real reaction that I've seen of, of any note was when he was continually taking off his uh, his glasses um, his, his, whether they're reading mm. glasses or viewing glasses when that real um, sensitive material was being was being shown over and over again on that screen that had to be set up for him. That, 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 since Christmas, certainly, that's the, o- the only real um, emotion or um, visible action that we've we've seen from him. Otherwise, he just sits quietly in the dock, takes a few notes. Um, he's not even... I haven't really seen him even conferring with his lawyers that much in open court um, in the last few weeks. Obviously, those discussions would go on behind the scenes um, maybe in the custody suite possibly on the phone from the prison that where he's being remanded we don't know and we never will though um, but yeah uh, and look there wasn't much action in the public gallery and on the media benches towards the end of this week either because as we say this this evidence is so detailed and so uh, forensic in, in both sets of the word that um, that it does sort of take a lot to uh, to get you excited well having said that um there was still quite it was a bigger crowd there today mm. and quite a few came up to me and talked about the podcast because they're asking questions about the rumors and the urban myths that were flourishing at the time and they there was a one particular one going around about a white van that people got into a taxi and there was a rope behind and a women's clothing and they even got to the stage where people were bringing up and saying oh a friend of a friend of a friend had bought a car and one of the victim's wallets was in the glove box or behind you would have heard all of those mm-hmm. tim and so they're fascinated by that sort of stuff and why isn't any of that coming out i feel like saying, well none of it was probably true <laughs> but yes. i mean they don't like to let go of these urban myths and conspiracy theories but everyone that's come up to me and there's been a lot of them have all talked about why um is is there any indication that it was bradley robert edwards and, and was this true and because you forget how intimately involved they all were they had their sons picked up they were one of them said to me today that um their son was picked up and actually questioned because he had ropes in the back of his car. He was actually pulled into the station, but it turned out he was a lighting guy for some outside concerts and had ropes in the back of the car. But that, that's where you forget that the such widespread interest back then, and that's who are the mums and dads that are filling the public gallery, elderly people, 
filling the public gallery. Which is very surprising given the detail that's being discussed at the trial right now that the public gallery is still mm. so full. <laughs> well, they're walking out with glazed looks on their faces because um, mm. they're not, I think they're expecting something more, you know, like they've seen on TV and, and of course it's not happening like that. But the the interest is still there and, and others will say, oh, I've just arrived from Melbourne and I've been living in Melbourne, but, you know, they'll... They've sat there. Ex-journalists have come in today. Ex-ABC journalists were in there today, older ones, and said they want to just follow it through because it was such a big story at the time. And also what I'm finding interesting is that all while we're listening to this dry reviews, there was a hive of activity going on. We're looking at 2003, 2005, 2001, because it was, uh, mind you, the media were distracted back then with something called 9-11 for, <laughs> the, for 10 years, but we had no idea that there were still reviews going on because it was very, very tight-lipped. Everyone was tight-lipped about it. Yeah. But now we're hearing, oh, they did pull it out and review it every couple of years as technology advanced and computer software got more sophisticated. That's been one of the most interesting aspects of the recent, most recent evidence for me actually is the work that was going um, on apparently behind the scenes, but obviously, I mean, it was their day to day, particularly the macro task force. Um, they were living it um, 24-7. And uh, the way, A, they were able to keep that from the public eye, I mean, yes. we've, we've discussed that previously, how, uh, with John, particularly on Monday, how, how you know, how, how, Preciously, they guarded every little every little bit of information, and particularly the new stuff. It would seem. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, that in itself, given given the the huge public interest that we've that we know about, the vast nature of the uh, of the investigation. So there were so many people, so many moving parts, scientists. Still Police officers, on, yeah. um, mm. forensic people—not you know, just here, but in in New Zealand and America, and and uh, and then the UK. You know, none of this leaked out, which is which is incredible in itself. Given you know the the, the vast amount of journalists that were trying to get stories about it but I mean it's not you know you couldn't if you were a journalist that had just worked on Claremont for every day for the last 25 yeah, well, years. Yeah you, you move on fairly fast well, as you I do. said you yeah, know 9-11 happened e and then everything became even, a terrorist even then and, yeah. and particularly now mm. um, and that and, and so now it's here the, the trial the, and the vast span of it the, the the whole case people people feel that like they've lived through it and want to see a, a little bit a little part of it the justice system working which i've said in previous podcasts i think is a real um positive thing in, in a very negative subject obviously that, that people are willing to give up their time to come and see the actual justice process in action and yes the ones that came today might think oh my gosh i don't want to go back because it is quite um it is quite a a, a long-winded process but for them to see it i've had friends saying when when, when should i come do i have to queue all this type of thing um just friends would have you would never think that would that would want to sit in a court case um for any length of time but they do and uh, and they still do definitely yeah that's right and i think as uh, john alluded to on monday also um it was i guess in the absence of this information that some of these urban myths were allowed to grow and to really really get legs and and you know these emails that would come out all the time about you know someone being picked up and chucked in the back of a boot and what have you but it was because of a lack of information that these theories were floating around everywhere. Well, there's nothing, of course, with a serial killer because it's random. So, as you know, we've got 
cartons, boxes full of tapes there of people who they were dobbing in who they thought was the perpetrator. And we would spend days going out back then interviewing someone who disgruntled mothers-in-law disgruntled <laughs> everything. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, of course, we acknowledged it maybe only once or twice a year on an, on an anniversary. Mm-hmm. And that was probably how I got the Lance uh, Williams interview because it was just like the anniversary, the Australia Day, We you go along. But apart from that, the media does, of course, move on to whatever's happening. And But in the meantime, these guys are still, all these reviews, That's I'm looking at the dates and thinking, oh, okay, that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. 2003, 2004, 2008 yeah. was the big breakthrough. 2009 was when they got the real impetus with this DNA match. Then all the stuff went over to back, uh, all the Caracatta stuff went back to um, FSS, so that was that whole year. And then we knew in the timeline that from 2009 to 2012, they were doing all this work on the hair, and that's when all the fibres started um, started started coming to light. And so, yeah, for an investigation that we seemed that seemed to be going nowhere for for so long, it was actually it was it was always moving. We're still hot macro task force for that, yeah. Mm. Well, we were, you know, really waiting for this answer as to who this mystery DNA belonged to, which you didn't find out today. But I guess some people will be asking the question that, you know, it's female DNA on nail uh, clippings that aren't really crucial to the case. So why do we care? Mm. Well, I mean, this all goes to, once again, Pathwest processes. And it, it was raised very early on by Mr. Jovich about possible contamination and what he wants to do is build a picture of um, sloppy processes and bits of DNA whosoever they might be, be it scientists or um, victims or uh, you know random DNA being in samples that they shouldn't be and this this was the build up to that today was uh, because this witness Denise Galvin it was her responsibility to send these blank samples that we discussed that are supposed to be completely clear and free of anything it was her responsibility to send these to the to uh, New Zealand to accompany the exhibits that had already been sent we found out or confirmed today that they were sent over a couple of months later prepared by her sent by her um, and then when they were run in in New Zealand um, we calculated um, about 20% of the ones that were tested in New Zealand had this female DNA in it um, and it was so it was Denise Galvin who was asked quite very detailed questions about exactly what she'd done um, gloves uh, PPE, um, cleaning, blotting paper, all the all the different methods that uh, Pathwest employed at the time to try and ensure um, the the process didn't become contaminated one way or the other, um, and that's why we say that when we get to her cross examination next week, that's when we think that we're really going to get to um, the nub of what Mr. Jovic was was the case he was trying to build in 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 this portion of the trial, um, confirming whether it was her DNA or not and if it wasn't how she thinks it got there because she was the one that prepared the samples we haven't heard whose DNA there's only two female scientists aren't there yes well there has been so far that we've mm. heard of Anne-Marie Fermegin and, and then this lady um, Denise Galvin so whether it is hers or not we, we, we simply don't know um, but I, I think Monday and Tuesday we're, we're, we're going to find out one way or the other 
And then following on next week, this is when you're expecting still to hear from the UK witnesses? No, I think... Well, we think so. We're not sure. Um, We we thought Justice Hall might have um, firmed that up this afternoon but um but he uh he we didn't hear anything else originally we were um thinking that we'd get video link which would i think there'll um, be a delay on that because he's got um paul jovic has got um, both denise galvin and possibly alex bogdanovich is to go over again Mm -hmm. on those documents that went awol yeah and so the cross that's cross cross examination is going to take a while the video links are, are more easily uh, rearranged than the live witnesses that will have to come into the UK. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit of um, it's a bit of a jumble at the minute. We don't really know uh, where we sit in terms of all that. But once we get there, that will um, uh, really um, boil down to uh, the testing done in the UK, the the, the eureka moment that we discovered we talked about yesterday, um, and all the people um, that were involved in that in that process um, on the other other side of the world. Well before we go today I'd like to just ask you this question from a listener Hannah Quinn who asks my question is about the Hollywood Hospital assault. I heard on a previous podcast that Mr Edwards was fingerprinted when charged and this was how they matched up the fingerprint from the Huntingdale incidents. I'm wondering if it's policy now or was it then too to take fingerprints and DNA swab for the database at the time of the arrest. I can't help but think if they had taken DNA at the time of the Hollywood Hospital assault, then when he committed the Karakata rape, they would have had his DNA on file and would have been able to, to make an arrest and possibly put a stop to him back then. Well, it was just a common assault charge, so they wouldn't have taken DNA back then. Um, if it had been a more serious charge and involving something really which they believe was a sexual attack, they probably would have. Uh, but um, again, I, today they, I'm sure, like, Path West's <laughs> techniques, everything's evolved, mm-hmm. um, but it was yeah. just a common assault, unfortunately. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, um, I, I th- and I think it taps into the fact that how long this case has been running. That this is 1990, um, so I did a little bit of research after reading Hannah's question. The first ever use of DNA in a court case in Australia was 1989, um, in a, in the case of. Desmond Appleby, which was a sexual assault case, um, the, the the most then we're 1990 in New South Wales and on and on. Um, so that's how how much in in its infancy it was back then. Um, there was there was only a, a, a parliamentary report done on DNA and processing and databases in 1995. There was a parliamentary committee set up in this state to actually just talk about it and get their heads around it. So it's five years afterwards. And the the, the first national data, DNA database was only set up in 2001. Or the, or the law that went with it was only set up in 2001. So, I mean, with hindsight, wouldn't it have been wonderful? But uh, it, it, it might have led to, you know, a, a completely different path for this case. But as it was... Um, and as I, and as Ali said as well, it was a common assault charge. So whether they would have even taken DNA uh, and from that nature of charge, you're not sure. The actual the actual mechanics of what he did, are, 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 and the fact that he was on a sex offenders program for two years, you might think they yeah. if if it had if it had been in place, if it had, if it had been ten years later, maybe they would have. But um, as for now. Um, what we've heard from Brendan, the, the, the vast amounts of DNA 
um, samples that, are, that now sit on databases in every state and, and nationally. And we also know, you found out this week, that 17,000 of those belong to this case alone <laughs> because of all the uh, the testing that was done on taxi drivers and other um, persons of interest. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Hannah, but um, the short answer is no. It was just a fingerprint, but, you know, um, without that fingerprint, we might not be here at all. That's right. And you can see why people are asking this question. And, you know, you can't help but wonder if this exact same incident were to happen today, would it be classified as a sexual assault? If you, you know, come from behind, you put your hand over someone's uh, mouth, you start dragging them back into the toilets and, and they're fighting against you, you wonder today, how, how would that be viewed? Mm. Well, there's always two sides to every story, as we're obviously finding out in this trial. But um, And there's, you know, whether they like it or not, there is a lot of horse trading that goes on between prosecutors and defence lawyers and, and agreed statement of facts and all that type of thing and the nature of charges and you know charges are upgraded and certainly downgraded all the time so um, yeah I mean it's, it's pure speculation I, I would I would tend to think again I mean Mr Edwards was only 21 when he, yeah. when, he, when, he mm. when he committed that mm. assault there was no other criminal charges on his record um, he was able to you know speak to the fact that he had a regular job that he that that he came from a regular family that he completed schooling you know all those different factors come into how a criminal charge pr mm. proceeds so you hear yeah it's so many tim you sit there doing waiting for a big case to come up and you hear half a dozen of these type of things and you don't even take much notice mm. of it it's, absolutely yeah. i mean mm. and the fact that this this the, the hollywood went from committed to convicted in you know less less than a fortnight, and he'd been and he'd been sentenced and fined and away you go. Even though he was as it was uh, well, on that program, yeah, so but he was on that program, seriously. so he mm. was being monitored and looked at and assessed over those two years. We hope. Um, yeah, it's 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 a, mm. it's you, you do you do wonder what would happen today, but with all yeah. those factors, maybe maybe it would have been the same. And I guess you know a lot of people would look to the intent. Well, when a man takes a woman, restrains her mm. and attempts to drag her into an isolated area then you have to question what is the intent of those actions so I think for some people they would you know definitely say well look I think this is on the sexual side of an assault and mm. other people maybe not mm. yeah. yeah and we and we, are we, and we are also looking at it in the context of Hindsight. everything else <laughs> that we know Mr yes. Edwards has done and we know Mr Edwards has been accused of so yeah it's uh, yeah it's interesting yeah well thank you both for all your work again this week uh, email us with your feedback to claremontpodcast at wanews.com.au and we'll be back for Monday that's week 11 when we may or may not have the UK witnesses and we hope to have your company then this podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of 7 West Media audio files were provided from the archives of the 7 Network and the West Australian Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.